1: Welcome once again, folks, to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. We gather like this every weekend on the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. We get on the air uh, because of the wonderful, wonderful uh, abilities of Alan Dempsey. Uh, He is the engineer par excellence. And uh, Andrew Herdliska produces this show every weekend. Catherine Hines is with us, a missionary in Uganda for over 20 years. Her book is called They Call Me Mama. Catherine, I'm so glad that we can visit. Uh, Congratulations on your book, and I'm looking forward to our chat.
2: Thank you. Thank you, Pat. I'm also looking forward to talking with you.
1: A big theme in this book is overcoming and how it applies to everyone's life. So what have you learned about overcoming in your own life and from the lives of those in Uganda living in severe poverty?
2: Well, I can tell you firsthand that what I've learned about overcoming is it's only possible through Jesus Christ. Mm. You can try to overcome in your own self, you can try to do this and that, but it won't work without the Lord. And that's what I've also seen in Uganda. I've seen how he comes into their lives when they accept him, when they give their lives to him and how their lives totally change. We see their needs get met. We see them overcoming the obstacles through God's provision. We also see the adversary at work, but we see God coming in and overcoming. And I've seen many overcomers in our ministry, and I'm so thankful to God for that, and so thankful to say that they love Him and serve Him.
1: How did you get tied up initially with Uganda. What happened? What's the background?
2: Well, I actually had the heart for Uganda from the time I was a teenager. I first came to Christ when I was 15. After accepting Christ, about six months later, I got interested in Uganda when Idi Amin was there. That was in 1973. And that's when I started looking at what was happening over there on the news, or would read it in Life magazine, or or hear about it from others. And realized that he had made a lot of orphans, almost a million orphans, and it was like 800,000 orphans because of him killing their parents. And my heart really went out to those children because I, I knew I had good parents and I was very lucky. And I also read about them when the AIDS came in. But there was a time there when I had many tragedies, as you can read in my book. Um, and I drifted away from the Lord a bit, but of course he never lets go of you. And, At 29, I rededicated my life, and again, he touched me with Uganda not long after. Um, Of course, it never really left my mind or heart. And finally, at 36, I made the decision to say, yes, Lord, I'll go. It wasn't an easy decision, but I have been blessed, and I have never regretted that decision to follow the Lord. Obedience is a blessing.
1: How many children have you adopted? And tell us how you met your very first child or any child that comes to mind on uh, today's program, tell us about that, Catherine.
2: Well, my first child was uh, David, David Kirillum Gumba. And David was four years old when I first met him. He was I was out evangelizing, and he was in one of the homes I evangelized in with his uncle, who was only four years older than him, uh, named Bumba. And both of them were out tending cattle. They were dressed in their rags with no shoes or anything, their little sticks and <laughs> taking care of of cows that the family had. It was only about four, but they were there taking care of them. And um, that was their livelihood. Uh, I was so touched by him, and I don't know why. I believe it was God's doing. And t- went ho- went back to my little place where I stayed, and I prayed about it and prayed about it and finally felt that the Lord wanted me to take him as my first child, and I did go back and get him at the end of September 1995. I'd only been there two months. Mm. So he was my first child, and today he is 29 years old, and he is working for Ministry of Internal Affairs as a uh, lieutenant officer and working working very hard, And but he loves the Lord more than that. So that's the most important thing to me.
1: And where... I have
2: had twenty-four children that I have raised, that have grown up, that are my children. Really, and I have uh, currently eighteen. So it's very hard when I come to the states and get away from them because I don't like to get away from them.
1: <laughs> and and they're all in one house. How does how does this work, Catherine? How do you? It's
2: between three houses. I have a boys' home, a girls' home in my house, and and there is another house, but that's with Mama Phyllis. She's an African house mother. Um, the boy's home is for the boys from 12 to 18 and the girl's home is for those who are 12 to 18. The younger ones live in my house. So I have 10 in my house and the other eight live between the two houses.
1: Tell me about your house.
2: Um, my house has, uh, seven bedrooms. One is mine Mm. and one is for the two African nannies who stay with us that take care of them when I'm not around and help to take care of other things like feeding them and so forth. Um, and then the other bedrooms are used for the kids. So my house was built primarily by my church and one other donor. So its a, I call it the Bear Valley Ranch Home. It's a um, a warm place where we, we greet other missionaries who come on short-term teams. And, and uh, I love my home. I love the kids in my home. That's what makes my home. <laughs> that and the Holy Spirit.
1: Does Uganda feel like your home?
2: Yes, it does although I really believe heaven is my home. so Because there's a part of me here, too, so you're always kind of back and forth.
1: How often do you come back to the United States?
2: I come once a year. As the founder of the ministry, I come once a year to come back and meet with the board a couple times and to do some fundraising.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, you know, we obviously we don't exist without help from the donors, and um, the Holy Spirit, of course, is the one that leads that, too. But we... Um, We have very many kids in sponsorship that also call me mama.
1: Catherine Hines. Backing
2: up a bit. We have 470 kids in sponsorship Mm. right now. We have 431 that have finished the sponsorship program, either graduated from university or vocational school. And most of them are working, and about 70% of them are are born-again believers.
1: Catherine Hines is our guest a missionary uh, to Uganda for over 20 years. Her book is out. It's called They Call Me Mama. Uh, Catherine, what is your dream for Uganda? And, And what do you need to make it happen?
2: You know what God touched my heart with is how much these children needed love and care, how much they needed to know they had a God who really loves them and cares about them, whom they can call Father. They needed to know they're not alone. Many of the children that we sponsor are total orphans or they have one parent, which in Uganda they're considered an orphan because it's a poor country and the income of someone is very little. If it's a, if it's a mother that survives then she probably has no income, just goes out and digs for a living uh, in the gardens for people. Mm -hmm. And my dream is to see us continue to reach out to these children I don't know if it'll happen in my lifetime. That's up to God. And doesn't matter if it happens in my lifetime or later. But I see us reaching out to all of Uganda, to the children in different areas, particularly the poorest areas, and um, helping these children to come to know him but also helping them in their lives. And their going to school, some of their needs that they have. Many of them are hungry, so we provide food Uh we try to do everything we can to help these children, but not to—we we try to teach them to fish, too. So yes. um, we think that's very, very important. And um, it's not easy, because you have to balance, and you have to find that balance. But to me, it's just important to see them come out of that poverty cycle, to become overcomers. Mm-hmm. And we have seen that, and that just encourages me even all the more, and I just give praise to God for that.
1: Catherine tell us about the different religions and lifestyles uh in Uganda uh, you're preaching the gospel what uh, what's going on with witchcraft and islam and polygamy etc
2: well polygamy is le- polygamy is legal there so you'll find that many who are not serious christians have more than one wife we've had some that have come to christ who have more than one wife um but they will not take any others, but we we do not encourage them to get rid of that other wife <laughs> or mm-hmm. otherwise, but to take care of them, but to realize that one of them should be their wife in in God's eyes, and it's usually the first one they married um, but we don't put a lot of attention there because they've come to Christ, and we know that God is going to lead them as we teach them but we we see a lot of witchcraft. A lot of the children we work with live in homes where witchcraft is practiced. Or their their parents or their mother or their father or their grandparents, whoever they live with, go to see witch doctors when they need help.
1: My guest, and we'll return with her, Catherine Hines, the book, They Call Me Mama. This is the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. My guest is Catherine Hines, the book, They Call Me Mama. It's a fabulous story. A missionary in Uganda for over 20 years. Uh, Catherine is with us. Uh, She's in Denver right now uh, before returning to Uganda. Uh, Catherine, what are the language issues? Do, Do these people speak English?
2: Yes, English is their official language. and There are 52 tribal languages
1: terrorism is in the news all the time how much of a threat do you feel you face from islam
2: um i would say that you always have that threat i know kenya's had a lot of a lot of problems with terrorism and of course they're right next to us border us so terrorism is an issue we we haven't had any big attacks since 2010 uh july 11th but um it's always a threat
1: what is it like leading a witch to Christ? Uh, how many how many uh, come out of witchcraft in general? I want I want to hear more about this.
2: Um, there are many that have come out of out of witchcraft, but it's not easy, and it's not easy for them. Um, I've led four to the Lord, and I give thanks and praise for that. Uh, they the way they live, I mean, that's their livelihood. You know either selling uh, potions or whatever. They 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 know they're worshiping the devil. When you talk to them, they know that they're doing wrong things. Uh, so there are many that when you talk to them, you know, the, the main thing is to know that God is God and not be afraid of, of what the devil is doing with these people to realize that they are people who need Jesus too. And I believe just sitting and chatting with them and you have to continuously go back. It's not always easy. You don't, get them the first time you know you have to share with them and continue to encourage them and to um and even after they accept christ you have to spend time with them uh, it's exciting to see them give their life to christ and almost all of them will hold a um what we call a, a big bonfire afterwards they will gather their things that were evil, the charms and what. They'll dig up things that buried under the ground, dead animals, things like that. Mm. They have a big fire and burn all this stuff, um, which helps to get part of the stronghold that the devil has on them out of their place. And the, the cool thing about it is to see them when they, they start reaching out to their families, become different, and everything changes for them. But they do struggle. Finding work is not easy for them. That's the work they've known. So I am. I'm, I'm happy to say that we have worked very hard with the ones that have come out of witchcraft completely, and I've seen them become more and more successful. One of them works in a rice farm now. Another one has a mango farm. It sells mangoes to Kenya. Um, another one did uh, secondhand clothing. We helped him to set up a shop, and he did secondhand clothing. Um, so it's it's been exciting to see what God does with their lives. And then you see their kids even coming around and happy, and the the kids were not happy before. You just see a big difference.
1: Mm. Yeah. I want you, Catherine, to discuss the difference between how you reach out to a cultural Muslim versus a practicing Muslim. Uh, what What's all that about?
2: Well, the cultural Muslim is easy to reach out to. That's the one that goes to the mosque, but he's not really firmly put in it. Um, just like those who go to church on Sunday, but they're not really walking with the Lord. So they're easy to talk to, and they're easy to sit down with and to share the scriptures, and, and they'll listen. And we've had several of those who have come to the Lord. The ones that are really grounded in the Islamic faith... Uh, who are, are very serious about it, are very difficult to talk to. Uh, most of them don't want to listen. In fact, they would, they'd rather kill you than to listen to you.
0: Mm.
2: Uh, <laughs> they can be quite... Um, and you don't want to argue with anyone when it comes to sharing the gospel. That, that is not the way of the Lord. Um, so you, you share with them when you can, and you have to find ways of living, you know, let them see a living example. And that one tends to speak louder than words. So that's that's how I've had to handle those. I I basically don't spend a lot of time with them unless they give me an open, and unless God opens a door there.
1: Catherine, I'm I'm curious about the animals of Africa. uh, The wild animals are the are they in Uganda? Do you do you see or do you? Oh yeah. Tell me more. Uh, Did you run into elephants and lions and zebras in your? In your work,
2: um we do, but only on safaris and we take teams on safaris there there were two lines once that got off of a game reserve and came through our village, uh which is now a town and um but they were within a week they were caught by the wildlife authority and and the damage they did was to kill some cows and goats um They didn't bother any people uh elephants and all those you just find them on the game reserve, so they're they're very beautiful and you can see God's creation it's another part of Africa that's that's very lovely
1: i want you to uh explain to us you went to uganda first in 1994 you returned <laughs> full time in 1995 yes what was going on in your mind and your heart in that one year period what were you thinking
2: um all I could remember was the faces of the people I met and and the children and and how much God used me even on that first three week visit um and it it just a confirming peaceful spirit that this is where God wanted me and definitely was not something just made up in my head from the time I was a teenager, it's definitely where God wanted me and then my my thoughts were, well, how am I going to get there? What do I do and <laughs> what's next um and I went under the Africa Christian Training Institute out of uh, Chattanooga, well, I guess they're based in New Mexico, but the director's in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And um, went there under them for a short time, but they don't do full-time missionaries. But I worked with the, uh, the church there, the local church, and doing evangelism. And actually worked with like three churches there in the
1: area. <laughs> when did you first realize that you had the gift of evangelism?
2: <laughs> when I went to Uganda, uh,
1: right. I did
2: some of it here when I was in the inner city, like in Brooklyn, New York, and also in the inner city of Denver, and, and uh, some of the missions I did in Mexico City and Costa Rica, but it wasn't as strong when I went to these places, but so when I went to Uganda, it was like, wow, the Lord, is, <laughs> it's like he was giving me the words to speak even,
0: <laughs>
2: mm. <laughs> and the scriptures that he I should use, and of course, I've got them all memorized now, and that's that helps a lot. Um, but, yeah, that's uh, actually one of my favorite things to do. I think it's one of the biggest gifts that the Lord has given me.
1: Is the um, history or the memory of Idi Amin still prevalent in Uganda?
2: Not as much as it was 24 years ago when I first went there, Um but it's still there. People
1: still remember. I'm uh, curious, and I want a word of encouragement uh, to all of us who are believers. We're all called to evangelism, but oftentimes we're reluctant, Catherine, or we're, yeah, ner- or we're, ner- or we're nervous or we feel unequipped. Uh, we need a word of encouragement from you.
2: This is true. That was one of the reasons I wrote a book, was that I'm hoping it will touch people's hearts and their lives to to want to step out in faith and know that God is with you. And, you know, you, you, even if you don't say it exactly right, it's sharing. And the more you do it, the easier it becomes. Um, it's not easy to do that, Pat. You know, it's it's it's. but the Spirit is with us and He leads us. And when He wants us to share with somebody... We need to do it. And he gives us so many opportunities that we don't even see. Hmm. And I'm looking at the United States and thinking, I better start sending some of my grown-up kids over here to do evangelism because uh, there's not enough of it. And it's going to come a time when we won't be able to
1: do in you, this country. Uh, Catherine, do you find that these young people you're working with have a desire to come to the U.S. and visit? What, what What's the story there?
2: Very many of them that talk about that. There's been a few that have been interested in doing that. Um, there have been those who have gone into becoming pastors or, or uh, working in the in the Christian atmosphere have have thought about it and they would they would enjoy coming to evangelize. Um, but for the most part, most of them are there working and doing things. Mm-hmm. So part of my goal was to raise Christian leaders for Uganda. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, Catherine, you you must realize that those of us in the United States who have never been to Africa really can't even envision it. What you're talking about? Um, yeah. You know we uh, we have our our view of Africa, but it's not realistic. But uh, it, we we have a hard time even envisioning what you're telling us. If yeah, you, that's if you, true. If you know what I mean.
2: Yes, yes. Yeah, I, I see it on the faces of the short-term teams. That I get about seven or eight teams a year that come and do they? see it on their faces and the, how they're touched and how they also realize they can do something. <laughs> so that, that always excites me.
1: Are you one of the few white people in the whole country?
2: Um. Yeah, there's. There's about 44 million people in Uganda, and maybe— Really? I think there's around 1,200 white people, which we know. Most of them are in Kampala, the capital city.
1: 44 million. It's a big country, isn't it? Mm.
2: Yeah. I was the only white person in the village up until about seven years ago when I had one girl join me, Melanie, and and, uh, then I had two others join me two years ago.
1: Uh, how uh, all
2: of them work at the school, the primary school, the Christian primary school that we have,
1: how big is their adjustment when they come
2: it's a big adjustment uh, they don't realize it so much the first year because they're just so excited, like they're kind of on a high, yes, <laughs> and then after that it starts coming down, they start realizing, well, this is a really different place, and I really didn't understand this in the culture or I really didn't get this or <laughs> and they uh start having to ask you know questions and uh, But luckily, they've stayed with us, and they they seem to still have a big heart for what they're doing.
1: Catherine Hines is our guest. They call me Mama. That's the name of the book. Uh, How do you raise support, Catherine? How how do you go about it?
2: Well, I come back, and I meet with churches. I meet with individuals, talk to different groups. Uh, People invite me for dinners, and I I meet new people and talk with them. Um, There are many ways, And, and, of course, our website which is HeinzKids.org. H-i-n-e-s Kids.org uh, is is a good way for people to find out more about us and to give. We also have a Facebook page. Um, I'm not real big on social media, but I'm there sometimes uh, to reach out to people and to reach out to my friends. Keep in touch. Uh, so there, it's really God.
1: <laughs> yes. Uh, so f- listen folks if you want to help catherine financially uh org. and um i think after listening to catherine and reading her book uh this is an organization very very worthy of supporting uh very um very real so Catherine how long do you stay in the states what what what's your schedule how's that work
2: Um I just have a few more places to visit I'm also visiting with churches around you know Littleton Colorado is our home base so I'm visiting other churches in this area and then I go back on the 25th of November from Illinois um,
1: What's the what, Louis. What's the weather like in Uganda Uh
2: the weather there right now well we, we have a rainy season and a dry season. Our dry season is our summertime, which is coming starting in December, goes through about March. Then from April up through about November, we have rainy seasons. There's one more dry season in in June, but it's only like a couple, two to three weeks, sometimes a month. So
1: is, it, is the weather... Generally
2: between 75 and 85 during the day and 60s in the night.
1: Okay. So it's... Um... It's a very pleasant uh, weather. wise You're not dealing with cold weather and snow and ice. No. Good.
2: We have had hail before, but that's about it, (laughs) and very rare.
1: Catherine Hines uh, has been our guest, a missionary in Uganda for over 20 years. Uh, Make sure you get this book. It's a powerful read. They call me Mama. Uh, We've got more after this on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. You're listening to the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word, in Orlando. We'll be right back. Catherine Hines, missionary to Uganda for over 20 years, our guest in that first segment. Dr. Greg Jantz is in uh, North Seattle. Uh, His latest book is out. Uh, Greg, of course, a mental health expert, founder of The Center, A Place of Hope, voted a top 10 depression treatment facility in the United States. Uh, the book is called Healing Depression for Life. Uh, welcome, Greg. Uh, I hope things are well with you.
0: It is always good to talk to you, and we've got a really important
1: topic today. Healing depression for life. Is, is depression that big a, a problem in the United States, Greg?
0: You know, it's amazing to think about what is happening with both depression and anxiety, Pat. Here's what we know. The World Health Organization just recently said depression is the number one, they call it a disability, the number one disability in the world. And that's an amazing thought. This is a global issue. Uh, We're seeing uh, adults uh, who are coming in for help, and we're working with folks from all over the country who really are suffering from uh, well, it's it's a despair. It's a depression that has really deepened. And well, you know, unfortunately, we've seen some pretty high suicide rates as well.
1: Uh, chapter one is called Finding a New Path Forward. Uh, that's how you open your book. Uh, what does that first chapter mean?
0: <laughs> well, a new path forward really, and I share a little bit about uh, my story. And this is an area that we have been treating for 36 years. And there's more options for caring for depression than ever before. But a new path forward means, okay, I've been suffering for a long time. Maybe I need to look at different options. And uh, people are used to, well, I just do one thing. Maybe it's take medication. That's all I do. And I don't really get the results I want for the long run.
1: Uh, Your book breaks down into three parts, mind, soul, and body. Uh, Part one is the mind. And, You open with a topic called sound asleep. Uh, Then you go to your devices, your depression. Then you go to stressed and depressed. And then you go a hard look at hard issues. I I want you to cover that whole part about the mind and, and what you're writing and why that's important.
0: Absolutely. We really believe that you've got to take on a whole person approach, look at every aspect of your life. And that means we're all a thousand piece puzzle. And we look at this as okay, there's many different pieces to be successful for the long run. We've got to look at all the pieces and put the puzzle together. Mine's one of them. Uh, We know, and I used to work in sleep research, for example, that sleep and depression can go hand in hand. Quick example if you have sleep apnea where you stop breathing there tonight, that can actually create depression. Um, And it's a hidden cause of depression. We know if you're depressed that. Uh, your sleep stages, probably you're not getting in enough certain stages, so it's disruptive sleep. So we've got to address the area of sleep, how to improve sleep so we can help with the depression and anxiety. I also talk about devices and technology. My goodness. We live in an age of, of technology invasion and people that they are they're just tethered to their devices. Here's what we know about technology. Uh, that if you're already depressed, already anxious, the more that you spend engaged in technology, the more increase in your depression symptoms. So uh, so if I go to Facebook and I'm already feeling bad after two hours on Facebook, do I feel better or worse? The surveys show us you're going to feel worse. So, you know, technology, uh, we want to use it properly, but uh, so often uh, we end up being addicted to that technology. So that's an important area to look at. Uh, We know that chronic stress, for example, is going to create, uh, over time, the likelihood of some depression symptoms. Chronic stress, simply put, is those things that uh, don't go away and you you can't seem to uh, get them to go away or (laughs) it feels like you're oppressed and uh, it could be a chronic uh, work situation, could be a chronic stressful relationship that chronic stress and what it does to our bodies, our immune system. And so we've got to address that. And finally, finally is, uh, undermined is, uh, really dealing if there's been past trauma or, or abuse, uh, difficult, maybe sexual abuse, physical abuse, uh, maybe it's hidden addictions. Uh, we've got to deal with those things that we probably don't want to, uh, in order to be free of depression. I know that was a lot.
1: <laughs> well, then, then Stan, you, um, you excuse me, Greg, you, mo- you move on uh, to the second part, which is soul. And here you cover the three deadly emotions, the antidote for toxic emotions, and strength through soul care. Uh, you're going to have to explain all that to us.
0: Sure. Dealing with our soul.
1: So important.
0: And this is, again, back to the whole person. I I talk about three deadly emotions, anger, fear, and guilt. Mm. Another word for anger could be hurt. I have a lot of hurt. So maybe I have unforgiveness in my life. Forgiveness is the single most common or unforgiveness issue that we've seen over the last 36 years that will trip a person up and uh, create, if you will, an emotional depression. So those resentments, those bitterness uh, to deal with that. So um, we know, and that's where the next one is, I talk about the antidote to toxic emotions. Well, simply put, uh, we've got to figure out forgiveness, whether it's self-forgiveness, how to forgive others, how to uh, really address these issues of uh, hurt in our life. And so um, and I don't mean it to sound easy, but um, everyone suffering from depression has got to examine areas of potential unforgiveness in their life. So soul care, you know, what are the, the practices of uh, gratitude, laughter, prayer? Uh, so we're going to look at all those things that strengthen us for the long term.
1: Dr. Greg Jance is with us from Seattle. Uh, the book is called Healing Depression for Life. Uh, You state, Greg, that one reason we see an uptick in mass shootings and violence is due to young men on the fringes of society who live in isolation and don't know how to manage their emotions. Uh, Can you tell us more about that? Yes. Well, one of the dangers is not learning how to be healthy, not learning how
0: to deal with hurts and anger and disappointment and fears and anxieties and feeling guilt, so we've got to learn to be healthy. We know that uh, a common trait of many times, unfortunately, uh, young men who turn to violence is a sense that they've had betrayal in their life, and betrayal comes in different forms, but it's a sense of betrayal, uh, and I'm going to get even. I am so angry. I feel so betrayed, and my response is to create harm or to get even. So these are usually isolated, depressed, anxious, and deeply, deeply wounded individuals then that turn to um, acting out sometimes in incredibly destructive ways.
1: It's time now to move to part three of your book, and it's simply body. Start moving and start improving. Good food equals good mood. Time to take out the trash. Is your gut stuck in a rut? The magic of micronutrients reinventing your future. Oh, Greg, that's that's a mouthful right there. But uh, I'm all ears, and I'm sure our listeners are. So, uh, <laughs> start start teaching us.
0: Oh, sure. Well, start moving. I'm really I'm really saying uh, exercise. Uh, quick example. Uh, everybody who comes through our program, we do a fitness assessment. We get them moving. And I just think of a gentleman who uh, recently arrived and he's here. To, uh, people stay here four weeks or whatever they may need. And to go around the block, no kidding, to go around the block, took like all the energy and he went really slow. It, when you get depressed, you stop moving. You stop caring for yourself. You stop drinking water. Maybe you, you start drinking things that are not helpful. You start drinking alcohol and doing things that are destructive. So the movement, and we know that everything else we do uh, for an individual, even the emotional and the medical side that we look at, if we can get them moving and uh, get them on a good fitness program, uh, everything else works better. Some great studies that talk about uh, exercise and depression, Um, uh, for mild depression to medium depression, exercise being uh, really equally as effective as uh, an antidepressant. Isn't that interesting? Mm. So, oh, mood, good food, good mood. Yes. Um, Yeah. So um, a lot of times if we're depressed and anxious, we're eating a lot of unhealthy food, refined foods. Uh, Usually when we look at folks, they're doing a lot of sugar and just, you know, not taking good care of themselves skipping meals, not having a breakfast, and so we start to look at, and that's why we have our dieticians, and we look at how do we need to redesign uh, food as fuel to fuel that brain and uh, give the body what it needs. You know, that alone can be really huge, by the way, getting good nutrition. It takes a little bit of time, but it's so, so worth it.
1: What is time time to take out the trash?
0: (laughs) Time to take out the trash. I know we have some funny chapter headings, and you think about taking out the trash. Well, that's all the toxins. Uh, We see a lot of folks get very toxic. Maybe they have a history of addictions. Their bodies are are toxic. They need, uh, if you will, they need cleansed. And so we start looking for the toxicities in their life, Uh, and I'm primarily talking about those physical toxicities. Um, and we know that when we begin to detoxify the body, um, people tend to start feeling a lot better. Their energy goes up. So it's an area we cover because we see it come up enough. Um long history of not eating well, a long history of maybe alcohol abuse. Uh, your body needs uh, some uh, cleansing to recover. So that's what that's all about. And uh, we also look at, Uh, our gut yeah our intestinal tract, and i know there's so much here and i'm just brushing over it but uh pat we look at um you know 90 plus percent of our uh, serotonin and our dopamine just two important brain chemicals that have to do with sleep and mood uh are manufactured in our gut so our gut god designed our bodies to do certain things and our gut is supposed to make b vitamins and a lot of the uh, neurotransmitters that that are important uh, are made in the gut. Well, if you have terrible digestion and you've had a long history of using a lot of antibiotics, your nutrition's not good, uh, that gut and that intestinal flora uh, is not able to do its job. And so we're looking at building, you know, we hear the gut as the second brain and uh, the gut communicates with our brain through something called the vagus nerve. And so that gut brain relationship is key and we're seeing more and more studies showing this uh key in helping that brain fight off depression so we've heard we've heard the word that you know all disease begins in the gut so we need to look at the gut and that's a part of our care for depression
1: what's the magic of micronutrients mean
0: oh yes Fascinating. So uh, we always assess an individual, do blood work, et cetera. Where are they? Where are they potentially low or deficient on certain key nutrients? An example, vitamin D. If you're low in vitamin D, you're going to have a physical depression. Um, and living in Seattle during the winter months, I might, uh, you know, have a tendency not to manufacture enough vitamin D. Living in Florida, you have plenty of vitamin D. So, um, one of the things that we do is, are there nutrient deficiencies that can contribute to depression? Uh, Being low in B vitamins, for
1: example, could be one as well. So, we're going to cover all those bases. And then, one other thought. Reinventing your future. You close the book with that. Reinventing your future means what?
0: Well, we've got to have a plan and a purpose. Uh, part of recovery for depression is, is what am I supposed to be doing with my life, my health and my relationships? Uh, where, you know, what are the factors in soul care is gratitude? Where do I need to be giving and serving? Uh, and so we're going to look at that. We're going to look at, okay, what's the plan for your life? I guess we're talking about life purpose.
1: My guest is Dr. Greg Jantz. Mental health expert, his new book is out, Healing Depression for Life. We uh, have another segment with Greg. He's in North Seattle. And uh, when we come back, uh, we've got some more interesting topics to have uh, Greg explain to us. This is the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's the new AM 990 and FM 101.5 The Word in Orlando. My guest is Dr. Greg Jantz, we're talking about his book, Healing Depression for Life. Greg, in what way does forgiveness play a role in healing from depression?
0: Yeah, forgiveness is sometimes a misunderstood topic as we look at forgiveness or lack of forgiveness. A lot of times we're not connecting the dots that that trauma and hurt uh, that created for me an injury that resulted in bitterness and resentments. Um, has affected, it poisons all of my relationships. I may not realize it. unforgiveness can affect how close, how intimate I can be with others. So when we look at this area of forgiveness uh, or lack of forgiveness, it also has to do with ourselves. Sometimes people will say things when they're here with us, I can't believe what I did in the past. I can never forgive myself. Mm. And so We wanted people to become initiators of forgiveness, forgiving others, uh, forgiving themselves. Forgiveness is not an excuse. It is not an excuse to, um, you know, justify behaviors. Forgiveness is a legitimate letting go. It's a learning, and forgiving
1: others empowers us. So a lot there on forgiveness. Greg, you start out... Uh, by saying that you have been there as it relates to depression. Uh, Would you um, be comfortable sharing a bit of your own journey?
0: Yes, absolutely. Uh, Early on, as a helper and as a counselor, um, I developed something I'll call the helping disease. I I said yes to everything and everyone, uh, and professionally appeared to be doing well. But, you know, um, I I was embarrassed to say the amount of time and work that I was doing, and I really created a great deal of chronic, chronic stress. And physically, I was overweight. I was not feeling well. And over time, it's subtle and sneaky, but I really developed uh, my own case of depression. Mm. And f- physically, not sleeping, not exercising, not taking care of myself. Now, this has been years ago, but I learned so much Um, You know, I even thought, wow, I I need to change my career. I I obviously chose the wrong career. Um, Not making good decisions. uh, Again, uh, overeating and just falling into that trap. Uh, So I also know that to get out of this, I needed somebody to throw me a life preserver. You know, I needed uh, accountability. I think it took me a year to really rebuild physically. To feel good physically, to be physically strong, and so those patterns that I recreated in my life uh, many years ago, I still do today. And I have to tell you, I am uh, very sensitive to somebody who's struggling with depression. Nobody starts out and says, "Well, I want to get you know depressed," or, uh, <laughs> but it can happen subtly over time. And so for me, I want to make sure that today in my life today. I am practicing what I'm preaching.
1: Greg, can you tell us about seasonal affective disorder? What's that mean?
0: Yes, seasonal affective disorder. Sometimes you hear the word SAD, S-A-D. And uh, so some folks are very sensitive as seasons change, um, and days are shorter for many. Uh, Certain states, including uh, our northern states and Alaska, Uh, folks tend to be, some, not all, uh, very sensitive to the light changes and sleeping less. They notice that suddenly they're having more cravings or they're overeating. And so seasonal affective disorder, uh, some folks start to dread as fall arrives and winter. They go, "Uh, oh, no, I I don't know if I can make it through this Um, because it's like a darkness that doesn't lift for them. So Seasonal affective disorder is, there's some good solutions for it. It is treatable.
1: Why do people who are involved in faith communities have less anxiety and stress? (laughs)
0: Okay. Well, here's what we know. Uh, And uh, our facility was voted in the top 10 places to get help for depression. And uh, one of the things that was looked at was, surveying patients who've gone through the various programs. And about a year after um, completing a program on depression or anxiety, there's a follow-up that we do uh, with an individual, and they'll say things like, you know, I learned so much at the Center of Place of Hope, and I changed so many things in my life, but what's kept me going and what's kept me strong is really developing my faith. And how fascinating is that? Um, as a key piece to the whole person. So we know, and it's just self-reported among those that uh, have suffered from depression, those that keep going strong tend to develop uh, faith. Uh, they explore uh, God. They begin to look at, and I'm not talking religion, but I'm talking about developing those aspects of faith in your life.
1: And now I want you to expand on that. Although people of faith have lower rates of depression, why do some believe their faith is weaker if they struggle with depression?
0: You know, because there could be rules around um, this whole area. Uh, When I say rules around, um, you could believe that I shouldn't be depressed or to sin not to be, or to be depressed, um, or you just don't feel uh, maybe understood by the church or faith community. So we can have a, some faulty beliefs around depression and, and think that, well, God is punishing me. So those are some of the things that we need to look at.
1: What do you want uh, readers to take from your book, Greg?
0: I want them to know three things. Number one, um, They don't have to live this way if it's you or a loved one. Number two, there are options. We live in an age where using a whole-person approach, putting all those pieces into the puzzle, and doing it right um, will lead us to number three. And number three is there is hope, and hope comes when there's a plan. And so we need to create a plan.
1: Here is a quote from you. Addiction is not a character defect. It's not a moral failure or a sign of weakness. It's a sign of pain. Uh, Can you expand on that?
0: A lot of times a person turns to addiction, I'll just use alcohol as an example, they turn to that as a way of dealing with hurt, as a way of dealing with pain in one's life. And so when we look at that, um, it's like, nobody starts out to become an alcoholic, but using alcohol leads to a sense of, or, um, self-medicating, uh, try to cover up those hurts, those feelings. So it's, it's a way of processing, if you will, emotions.
1: Do you like to hear from people?
0: Love it. I love to see recovery and healing. And I, I, uh, certainly
1: would, um, uh- Correct me if I'm wrong here, Uh, www.aplaceofhope.com, and then jance.htm.
0: Yep, and you can just go to A Place of Hope, and there's a section there about the founder. But uh, absolutely, lots of great information there at A Place of Hope.
1: Uh, Tell me about Seattle, Washington. Uh, Do you think there's more uh, apt to be more depression in that neck of the woods or would it be in Florida? I mean, what, what about geographically in depression?
0: Oh, I'll tell you, here's what, uh, Florida is one of the highest states that we see clients come to really uh, to come to see us. Absolutely. Florida, uh, South Carolina, uh, these are states that we see clients every month. Um, so here's the thing, you know, Um, If you can uh, see that there's a lot of reasons for depression and that we could live anywhere, Um, and a lot of times uh, we think everything should be okay. Uh, And, you know, I live here, I live in Florida, I live in sunshine, um, but something else could be really wrong. And so uh, I believe that uh, sometimes getting out of your normal environment, getting away to really... Uh, work on things free of distractions can be a great thing to do.
1: Uh, Dr. Greg Jantz has been our guest. Uh, his book, Healing Depression for Life. Uh, Greg, so nice of you to join me. I'm I'm glad that we can visit. You know, it's always good to talk to you. Uh, folks, we have a wrap-up right after this. You're listening to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour on the new AM 990. And FM 101.5, The Word, in Orlando. I'm so glad you could visit us here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Catherine Hines, missionary in Uganda for over 20 years. Her book, They Call Me Mama, she was with us in the first segment. And then Dr. Greg Jantz joined us from uh, Seattle, uh, talking about his book, Healing Depression for Life. Uh, uh, check out my latest book. It's called Lead Like Walt. And we look at Walt Disney through the narrow lens of leadership. And what were the seven leadership qualities that Walt Disney possessed uh, to allow him uh, to become one of the great leaders in the history of the United States? In the meantime, I hope you have a wonderful week ahead. We're back next weekend for more on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. And stay tuned to the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. And have a wonderful week ahead.